Uh, Cal has said as our discipleship training director from time to time that discipleship is not necessarily informational, but it's trans transformational. And that's, that's true. It's not about what all we can absorb, all the information we can absorb, but what does, it, what does it do in our lives? How does it change our lives? And so that's what we want to do. We want to take God's word in the, during the worship service and the preaching time and, and, and not just learn about the Bible, but let the, let the, allow the God's word change us and change our lives. And that's what discipleship is. And so tonight we want to look at unit 11, page 224 in your book, the memory verse. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Basically, to narrow that down, if we have a close fellowship with the Lord, we're going to have close fellowship with each other. If we're out of fellowship with God, we're going to be out of fellowship with each other. And so it's just, uh, it's that simple, really. And so we're talking about being kingdom people. If you'll look on day one, on mission to the world, on mission to the world. Now I'm going to look at the first two paragraphs because this is kind of difficult to, unless we go back and uh, kind of reiterate what the introduction is about, but notice if you would the first paragraph, when you respond to God's invitation to a close love relationship with him, he brings you into a special partnership with himself. God has added you to a local body of believers. Now keep that in mind, we're partners with God. I think of the commission, the great commission, as the great commission. It's something that we're, in, it's, it's, it's uh, something that we're in partnership with God with. And so it's the great co-mission, God and us. And he's chosen us to be on co-mission with him. So when he brings us into that special partnership with himself, God has added you to a local body of believers. Now we're going to see in all of this why church is so important. Now, you'd be surprised that a lot of people have a misconception of church, misunderstanding of church and what it's all about. But there's a reason that God has the body, the body of Christ in local congregations. So we have to remember that. To, together you are the body of Christ in your community. As the head of your church, Christ himself is guiding and working through your congregation to accomplish the will of the Father. So we're just not here. We just don't come and worship and leave. But God has a purpose for us, and that purpose is to be on co-mission with Him to reach a lost world, in particular our, commu our community, our city. And then as we cooperate with other churches in the county, we reach others across the county and our state convention we reach others across the state and then our southern baptist convention as a whole we reach people across the united states north america and then internationally around the world southern baptists have <clears throat> more international missionaries than uh, than any other protestant denomination it's the largest Protestant denomination. You have the Catholic Church, and then you have Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist uh, uh, Convention. And so there's a purpose for us uh, cooperating with each other. 
And so, uh, so we start here. We start here in this community and we reach out to our county. We have 34, 33 churches, Southern Baptist churches in our association. And then we have associations practically in every county and that makes up the state convention. And there's a purpose behind all that. And that's to reach people um, to Christ. Notice the second paragraph. The spirit who bonds you to other believers in a local church also connects you to all believers around the world. God's people form every body of Christ, uh, from every body of Christ are put, are part of God's kingdom. Christians are, are kingdom people, and Christ himself is the central king over his kingdom. He made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. In this relationship with Christ as king, you become involved in his mission to reconcile a lost world to himself, to be related to Christ, to be on mission with him. You cannot be in a relationship with Jesus and not be on mission Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so we, we being, being a Christian, being a part of God's family, within we're on commission with him. And, I mean, he's, he wants to use us. Now, he wanted to use his people, the Jewish people, uh, his chosen people. His intent was to use them to tell of the great deeds of their, their God. But that didn't work out because when the Messiah came, they rejected the Messiah. And so he turned from the Jews and he turned to, uh, he, he turned to the Gentiles to carry out that mission of reaching a lost world to himself. And so that's how we became involved as Gentiles. Now, look, if you would, um, the left column statement there, you cannot be in relationship with Jesus and not be on mission. I mean, if we have a close relationship with Christ, we're going to be on mission with Him. It's important to be a part of a local body of believers. You believe that? You believe It is. It's important to be a part of a local body of believers. You're congregating. We're congregating together, not just to worship, but to be a part of this great commission with Him. You need to understand that. Because God uses individuals and local congregations to reach a lost world. The preacher can't do it by himself. The deacons can't do it along with the preacher and Sunday school teachers along with the deacons and the preacher. But all of us uniting together, going out, sharing the gospel, people we come in contact with, that's the way God intends for us uh, to reach a lost world. Okay? So he has the world on his heart. We know that. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only one of his kind, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God fashioned the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And this, and this lesson pointed out that he placed uh, placed. Uh, Christ and, and Mary and Christ was born and became a man and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation, God in the flesh. And so he came, 
He, he was on ministry for about 33 years, and then he, he died for our sins. He was buried. He arose again. So he provided salvation through his death, through his resurrection. And when he went to heaven, he tells the body, uh, I'm coming back, but until then, he gave us a mission. And that mission is to reach a lost world to him. So we have to keep that in perspective. This is what this, everything that we do here needs to be uh, pointing people to Jesus. The Brotherhood organization needs to do things in ministry to point people to Jesus. The WMU, they need to, whatever they do in ministry, it needs to point people to Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what we're to be doing. Um, whatever organization, wow. Uh, we, they meet, and they're to point people to Jesus, do ministry to point people. To, it's, this is not a social club where we come and have a good time and have parties and leave. We have a mission. Now, we can enjoy ourselves doing that, and we can see that in just a few minutes, called Konania, it's fellowship, where we come and we talk about the things of God, and then we focus on doing that mission. And so everything we do here, drive through nativity, whatever, it needs to draw attention and, and seek to bring people to Jesus, okay? Look, if you will, on uh, page 337, Impacting the World. I want us to look at Acts chapter 8, 26 through 39, and uh, the right-hand column. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this is the desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of, Eth of Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasure. Now keep in mind what our mission is. is to reach other people. Okay? He had come to worship in Jerusalem, this eunuch had, and he was sitting in his chair on the way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, and the Spirit told Philip to go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he'd heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I? He said, Unless someone guides me. And so he invited Pete, uh, Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the scripture passage that he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so he's reading this. He don't understand. You know why he doesn't understand what he's reading? The Bible says, for the natural man, the person without the Spirit of God. For the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. And so don't expect a lost person to sit down and read the Bible. That's what this Ethiopian was doing. And, and understand what he's reading, because it's spiritually discerned. And so he said, you understand what you're reading? He said, no, I have no idea. And then he read the passage to him. And Philip is going to explain that passage. That's like you witnessing to a person. You'll say, have you ever been saved? Well, that's a churchy word. They really don't understand the word church, uh, saved. You know, saved from what? What do you mean saved? I'm not lost. They don't understand that. 
And so don't be surprised uh, when people don't understand what they're reading in the Bible if they're not believers. Because that is all spiritually discerned. Okay? Can a person be saved reading the Bible? Sure. Uh, many atheists have gone to disprove the Bible and then come to find out during that period of time they're, they're examining the Bible, they get saved. And so, but primarily, a lost person does not understand what they read. They have to be shown. Verse 32, now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and the lamb is silent before his shearers. I read that. Look down verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who's this prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the scripture. Now, what's the good news about Jesus? What's, what's, the gospel is known as what? The good news. So what's the gospel? What's the good news? That Christ came, Christ died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, he arose again, and you don't have to pay the penalty of sin in your life. If you choose Christ, if you give your life to him, that's already been paid. He's taken care of that. And so he's telling them this good news. Okay? Verse, uh, I think I got to verse 36. Um, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, that's a miracle in itself. All of a sudden, the, the eunuch is baptized after he believes. He's baptized, and suddenly Philip is carried away. He's just, he's gone. He's gone, and he's carried to, to another place. Now look at number two at the top of the page. Who guided Philip to become involved in what God was going to do to the Ethiopian? Who guided Philip? What? The angel. Okay, the angel of the Lord. Keep that in mind, the angel of the Lord. Who do you think that was? The what? The spirit? Okay. The angel of the Lord guided Philip. Now, that's the way he does us. We're no different than Philip. Why do you think he, we're different than him? And so from time to time, the angel of the Lord will guide us to speak to someone who's wanting to know about Jesus. Okay. Number, uh, look at the B part. At the beginning, how much information did Philip have about, about what to do? <laughs> just go. He had very little information. It was just go. Go to Gaza. That's what we want you to do. We want you to go to Gaza. Had very little information. And that's the way the Lord works. He'll say you need to speak to that person or you need to minister to that person. Uh, you know what? I had Mike Rice on my mind. Um, last week, last week. Now, I don't know, some of you may not know Mike Rice, not from this community, but as you go back toward Phil Campbell and you have the shortcut, we call it the shortcut, it's Hyde Road. Right to the right, before you turn left on Hyde Road, there's this house. You know, you've seen it. You come out of Hyde Road and you're facing it. That's where Mike and his brother Eric live. 
And God put Mike Rice on my heart. And so I'm thinking God wants me to carry, carry he and, and Eric a Thanksgiving, I mean a Thanksgiving meal. So every year I've carried them two apiece up there. They're big guys. And so then this Thanksgiving, I, I, but last week I had them on my mind. I'm thinking God wants me to make sure I don't forget them guys. And so as I was leaving here uh, Thursday, I had to go back up to the jail. By the way, we carried five pans of dressing up there, and it was enough to feed the whole crew dressing again, so that was good. So uh, anyway, I stopped by Mike's, and Eric came out. And I said, man, I haven't forgot you. Just run a little late. And he said, well, thank you, Brother Sammy. Man, I love you. And I said, well, I love you. He loved me when he saw that dressing is what it was. And so... I gave him the dressing, and he said, I guess you heard about Mike's heart attack. And I said, no. And he said, yeah, I had a heart attack. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. And I said, is he all right? He said, yeah, he's doing good now. They had to put a stand in. And so I think that's why God was wanting me. He put Mike Rice on my heart last week before Thanksgiving. But I'm thinking, hey. And so I even mentioned it to Judy. I need to stop by and see Mike Rice. God wants to stop by and see those guys. But that's the same way with, that's the same way with Philip. I mean, he, he, God said, go, go, and you go. And so we know when God's speaking to us. We get that. We, we know that. We can sense our spirit as God's spirit speaks to us. We know that. Okay. Uh, Chris, well, I was talking to Chris today, and he talked about a, one of his employees. And, and uh, his employees all of a sudden said, hey, I'm going to get my life straightened out, basically that. And Chris said, hey, Chris told me, I'm going to see. See, now Chris didn't come up with that on his own. He felt compelled or feels compelled to go visit his, uh, the guy that helps him at work, his employee. And so God, when God tells you, you, you can sense it. It's just on your heart. Okay, so when Philip, uh, see, when Philip saw the Ethiopian, he was watching to see what the father was doing. What do you think he saw of God's activity? So what, what do you think he saw when he, when he saw this Ethiopian eunuch? What was God doing? What was he doing? He was... He was he was reading, and God was speaking to him. He was, he was trying to comprehend what it was saying. He was struggling. And so Philip recognized what he was doing. Depart says, what did the Spirit tell Philip to do? Go to the chariot. He'll tell you what to do if you're listening. You need to pray with this guy, or you need to go to the chariot. And, and when you get there, God opens up. More things for us to do. The C part. How did Philip find out what God was doing in this man's life? He asked a probing question. He asked a probing question. What was the question? You understand what you read. Now, there's different probing questions. When you, when you feel led to witness to someone... You can share your personal testimony. You can end that with a question. Would you like to have the same thing happen to you? Or you can say, have you ever come to a place in your life that you, that you know for certain that when you die, you'll have eternal life? You just ask a probing question. You probe in to see what that person's trying to, 
to comprehend or what that person wants to know. And you do it and you don't do it in a brass way. You, you just do it in a, in a kind way. What did God do in the Ethiopian's life through Philip? Well, God told the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what he did through Philip. Philip said, let me tell you about this person you read about. He says, this prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Just let me tell you who he's talking about. And he preached to him Jesus, shared with him Jesus. And then he said, hey, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? And so Philip, after he believed, went down and baptized him. Okay, look at uh, G. Based on what we know of the Ethiopian, what impact do you think this encounter could have had on the spread of the gospel? We think, where was he from? Ethiopia. Where's that? That's Africa. What do you think this guy did? He goes back to Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopia, and he tells other people what happened to him. And that's the same way the woman at the well. And I noticed he brought out in our lesson uh, after the woman at the well came to Jesus and he said, go and, and sin no more. Your sins be forgiven you. And she goes out through town and she's telling everybody about this man that knew all about her at the well. And many people in that town came to know Christ as their Savior. And so in the, in the lesson on day one, the question was, who is your woman at the well? Who is your person at the well? Who is that person that God is wanting me or you to speak to? So look around during the day and see who your woman at the well is or your person at the well is. Because God will put someone right in your path. Okay? Summary statements on, uh, well... Let's look at on page 228, those summary statements. I, I am a kingdom person, and Christ is my king. To be related to Christ is to be on mission with him. Every congregation is a world mission strategy center. Uh, anytime God has access to our church, he can touch the world through us. And so we look at our church, and we'll say, well, are we, or anyway, what way, if any way, are we trying to reach the world? Well, we're members of, uh, we, we give to the cooperative program. The cooperative program uh, is uh, uh, Baptists contributing and putting their money together. And because we cooperate, thus the word cooperative program, because we cooperate, we can have over 4,000 missionaries. So we're part of that. And so we're trying to reach the world through the cooperative program. Then we're trying to reach the world through our own personal uh, uh, mission trips, you know, we've been to Romania and Nicaragua, so we're trying to we're trying to reach as a church. Uh, the shoebox ministry—that's a way of reaching the world. It's through that shoebox ministry. So we're trying to we're trying to reach the world. We're on commission. Now, when we just start sitting around and it's all about us and focusing on us, then we know we're off mission. And so we want to be on mission with Him. And so we want to be involved uh, uh, in missions, in reaching the world. Okay, look on day two. He says, you cannot, on the right there, you cannot be in true fellowship with God and out of fellowship with other believers. Okay, the first paragraph. 
In the mind and teaching of Jesus, the church is vital, live in dynamic fellowship of believers. The Greek word koinonia, most frequently transferred fellowship, translated fellowship, is the best way to describe the, what the church ought to be. In this unit, we're going to use the word koinonia uh, to mean the fullest possible partnership and fellowship with God and with other believers. And so uh, the word fellowship doesn't mean hot dogs, and that's, uh, that's, that's one way that you can look at that word. But primarily in the Bible, it's used as God's people coming together in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other, working with God and working with each other, I should say. Look down on number two. How would you define koinonia? Okay, I just put a personal fellowship with God that develops from one who has surrendered to Christ as Lord. I'm going to have fellowship with God first, koinonia with God, and um, that develops over a period of time as a new believer. Uh, you that have been, well, I've been a believer for many years, but when I first started out, I developed, I had to develop that fellowship with God. And so that's what we're expected to do. Number three, which of the following words can you use to describe your relationship with God? Check all that's that applies. So I checked, it's alive, it's personal, it's close, it's real, it's growing, okay? And so that's how my fellowship is growing uh, with God. Now here's something to remember, if my fellowship is growing with God, it's going to be growing with you. We're going to be in fellowship with each other because I'm in fellowship with God. If you're in fellowship with a the light, then you're going to be in fellowship with other believers. Okay, um, look, on, uh, look on page 230. Let's see, I want to scoot along here. Um, fellowship among believers. You cannot be in fellowship with God and his son and not walk in godly fellowship one with another. We need, uh, we need to remember that. Um, let me see. I'm going to move on uh, to day three. Look over on page uh, 234. Some things I want to say there before the time gets us. Uh, day three. Kononia in the kingdom. Uh, Top of page on the left there. Kononia takes on new dimensions, new possibilities, new richness as churches relate in the wider circles of the kingdom. So we're not the only ones in the kingdom. So we, we need to build relationship and fellowship, kononia, with other believers in the kingdom. We'll look at that. Um, look at uh, the top. Uh, paragraph, kingdom people are interrelated with believers in the kingdom worldwide. Okay, uh, come on down to the first, uh, second paragraph. I came, he says, I came to, he, he talks about um, biblical principles. You see the second line there, second sentence. Biblical principles of God's working with his people do not change. Helping a group of churches learn to walk with God uh, intimate uh, koinonia with him and with one another 
took time, but God is the one who does the kind of miraculous work. I was only a vessel. He's talking about bringing association churches together. Uh, look, if you will, on the bottom left in the column there. We consider everything each of us possessed as belonging by love to one another. Um, I want us to go down to number one there on page 234 and uh, drop down about, uh, well, let's look at that paragraph. This is the point I'm trying to make. He said, while I served as pastor in Saskatchewan, the Holy Spirit developed a unique continuity among sister churches. Together, our churches developed a network to reach the entire providence of Christ, much like the New Testament churches. We considered everything each of us possessed as belonging by love one to another. Now, you may have heard me say that, but everything we have here belongs to all the other churches too. If they need it, if we've got it, we don't have to tear it off the wall. When we get it off the wall, we'll get it off the wall where they can use it. What we have here belongs, it's the kingdom work. It belongs to the kingdom. And if we can help some church, we want to help some church. And so that's that. That's that. Brother Philip? to help people <laughs> right there. Let me, tell, let me give you an illustration. Uh, first of all, our church here, our congregation, um, we've always tried to help other churches. Um, let's say, for instance, um, went for some training, and it was to look at a new program called Team Kid. New, brand new. We brought it back to our church. And we loved it. We really liked it. And we thought it worked good for us. And we thought it'd be good for some other churches. So what did we do? We had a teen kid clinic here at our church in the previous building. And we invited all the churches and association to come and look at this new teen kid program. It's a program for children. And you had Bear Creek that came. You had First Baptist Phil Campbell came. And you had Mount Hebron that came. And you had Bell Green that came. And you had... Gravel Hill came, and you had, we had 10 or 12 churches represented, and some of them went back and started Team Kid. Okay? So that's what we want to do. Then what do we do? We have discipleship rallies. Because we, we, two things we've tried to do, evangelize and discipleship. So what do we do? Kyle plans a rally. Uh, some of the speakers had fantastic speakers. Uh, and so what do we do? We invite the entire association to come out. What do we do? We provide the pastors and the discipleship training directors a meal, free meal. Everything's free. And they came early. They ate. What do we have, God? I forget. It's steak or something. forgot what it was. It's good. Good. Didn't hear no complaints. But we asked them to invite 
It was the pastors and their discipleship training directors and the chairman and deacons. So we feed them a meal, we bring them in here, and we show we have a, uh, have a table set up with all different types of training that we've done here at Mountain View. And you can bar it, you can check it out, you can, you can look at it, you can try it. And then we had a guest speaker to speak. Some from the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. You know, their office is in Nashville, so that's not a long drive. And so uh, we had some keynote speakers to come. And so what we're trying to do is help other churches. Right now, there's four churches out of 35 that have discipleship training in our association. And I can't imagine what would happen, and I've shared if, if, if every one of them went through this, if they had five or six. And so what I'm saying is some things that we're trying to do to help other churches. Um, I've, I've taken training and to help declining churches. What can we do as a church to help declining churches? We have small churches that are really struggling. Rockwood, my home church for one, run about 12 or 15. And it was a full-time church at one time, had a full-time pastor. And uh, we got Macedonia's not meeting right now. We've got a couple other churches. Southside's called a pastor. And, uh, but we've got uh, Gravel Hill. and I think it's Gravel Hill. Maybe not Gravel Hill. Some three or four churches that's, that's needing pastors. But we want to try to help. Years ago, uh, my dad was an architectural draftsman. If you'll pardon a personal experience or illustration. And um, there was a church that was going to build a new building or remodel the building. They asked him, would he do the plans for them? He did house plans and, uh, on the side at home. And, and so uh, they asked him if he'd do the plans. And so uh, he said, sure, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. So he did, the, he did the remodeling plans for that church. And they were happy. How much do we owe you? We'll pay. And he said, you don't owe me anything. Hey, it's a gift. Take it. So, um, anyway, they, uh, they took it. And, and so it, it was about, I guess, less than a year. And uh, he, was, he was doing a job at work, and uh, he had to have a full cutout. He's, it's a limestone job. It's some, I think it's a building down at Samford, and he had to lay it out on the floor. He went down to Rockwood to the church at the Fellowship Hall and had to take the whole floor in the Fellowship Hall lay that out but he had to draw that off and he needed an opaque projector opaque projector and you don't use those anymore but back then you did and you couldn't find an opaque projector but we heard heard that this church that he helped had an opaque projector and so he called the church that he did the plans for and he said hey do you have an opaque projector? And they said, yes. And he said, do you mind if I borrow that for about two days at the most? I've got to lay out a job, and I need an opaque projector. And um, they said, well, we've, we, uh, we voted not to, not to loan that out. Well, he just handed them $10,000 worth of plans. But he understood. He said, okay, and that was it. So there's where, there's what I'm talking about. Everything we have, someone wants to borrow a projector, uh, these are mounted on the wall, 
but I'm talking about a TV or a monitor or something. Hey, that's fine. We'll help you any way we can. That's what he's saying here. We're all in this together, and everything we have belongs to the kingdom, and it's for the kingdom work. And so we, we need to remember that. Okay, look, um, um, look on page uh, 235, uh, up at the top right. Um, Sharon developed a deep sense of kononia among our churches. I, I'll tell you a good example, uh, Jason, you know, the Beast Feast. Now we had Beast Feast here and churches from everywhere came to help with that. Brought chairs, we didn't have enough chairs, brought tables canopies, um, you know, working, helping us. I can remember when Pleasant Hill didn't have enough for the, um, what they call it, um, on Halloween? Judgment House and our people, you know what they did? They went over there and they took part in the Judgment House where they could have the first, second, third Judgment House. That's what it's about. Helping each other, that's that koinonia among churches, okay? Now, uh, let's go down to, um, I'll tell you something else that, that, that took place years ago that was a blessing. Um, number four says, what does your church do or fail to do that indicates a lack of koinonia with other churches or Christian groups? For instance, some churches never participate in citywide or association efforts. They never share resources with smaller churches. They never reach out to struggling churches to see how they can help. So what have we done? And I've named just a few, but some other things we did. One, one thing in particular years ago where we tried to involve all the churches in, on this mountain, we had a tent revival. And so uh, we borrowed an evangelism tent from the uh, state convention. Terry, you remember that. And we had it on the old football field, old band practice field, right there where the new cafeteria is. And we stretched that tent out. And uh, I think Grady Wilburn went and got that tent from Montgomery. And um, it was in a box. It was in a box. And the box led out into a stage. So you unpack the tent, then you unfold the, the box it came in, and it was the stage. And so we had, it was a big, quiet tent. And um, so we invited First Baptist Field Campbell. We invited, um, well, I was talking to Brother McCreelis, and I said, we're fixing to have a tent revival. And he said, where? And I said, up to school. He said, we'd like to be a part of that. And I said, okay. I said, let's just make it an aerial-wide thing. So we got First Baptist Field Campbell. Uh, we got uh, Bear Creek number one. We got Mount Hebron at that time. We got Spruce Pine. Uh, we went down into the valley and we got picked up Rockwood and picked up Southside. And we had six or eight churches, New Harmony. And so we met out here for a week and uh, had that tent revival. We had counselors, we had ushers from other churches. Somebody had to stay. The state required somebody to spend a night in that tent. And I remember about the second night it came a storm and I was up there and two or three others and water, an old boy got shot. He's trying to walk on a plank and missed the water and he, he fell off the plank and he kind of got a little joke but didn't hurt him. 
but um, somebody had to stay every night. Churches signed up to provide something. And then somebody had to, we had to take it down. Then we had to take it back to Montgomery. And, but we were all working together, one accord for one purpose, and that was the churches on top of this mountain. So that, I, that was one thing. And, and Corey, our daughter, was saved. She was saved at tent revival. And so it's one thing um, that uh, we bought a big flower arrangement, Chris, huge, huge flower arrangement. And, uh, man, we had to take that thing home every night and water it. I never will forget that, hauling that thing back and forth. But anyway, we worked together. What about, what about our church, uh, Jason, going down to Crooked Oak? Year before last, was it? Has it been that long? Was it before COVID? 21? Yeah. Uh, Mike? Yeah, October last year, the, the, beast, uh, the uh, hunt ministry, they went down to Mike's uh, at Crooked Oak, and uh, they, they cooked all the meat. Uh, I believe y'all furnished the uh, door prizes. Had, all the church had to do was invite the community. I drove down that, uh, that evening, and they had a humongous crowd. But they went down and they cooked for the people. They furnished the door prizes. And then they had a speaker. And so it, it turned out to be real good. Yeah, yeah. Waiting for our, our things at Vacation Bible School. We have Vacation Bible School. Churches call. So we'd like to have stuff when you're finished. And, and so we tried, to, we tried to help smaller churches first. That's, that's what we want to do. But I, I can't, you know, I, I can't forget how people came to our aid when we needed help. And so that's, that's what this is. This is all about. Look at the bottom paragraph. If your church has a coninial problem with other Christian churches or groups, now he said Christian churches. He didn't say just Baptist churches, but Christian churches. <clears throat> with other Christian churches that indicate a deeper that. That indicates a deeper continental problem with the Lord. If you have a problem with that, he says this, I'm not suggesting that doctrinal differences ought to be compromised. But we can act like brothers and sisters who love one another. Now, you, you get the gist of what he's saying. It's not talking about what we believe or what they believe and we don't believe. But there are times where we can come together and, and work with each other. We had a tornado, and uh, so we had a meeting at First Baptist Church, Phil Campbell. Um, they, the only facility they had, their family life center, and we met there. And so we decided what we were going to do as churches and um, for the community and how we were going to pray and all that. And so uh, anyway, we had, we had Temple Baptist and Mountain View Baptist and Spruce Pine and uh, I don't think Spruce Pine, it was just Phil Campbell Churches, Mountain View, Phil Campbell, the Church of Christ uh, doesn't participate with other churches and community events. But anyway, Temple, Temple Baptist, there's three or four churches there. New Harmony was there in and around the town. And that was Church, uh, church of God, they were there. And um, so anyway, uh, we met 
and man, it thundered and lightning. I thought another tornado was going to hit. We were all in there sitting between some boxes, and and so we we came together to to talk about what we could do as churches. And uh, I never will forget. We had a assembly of God person, and um, so he said, "I'll tell you what we're going to do." He said, "We're we're gonna we're gonna meet up here at nine o'clock." And on Saturday, and we're going to go around to these businesses, and we're going to anoint the doorknobs with oil. I'm thinking, anoint the doorknobs with oil. I've heard anointing people, but I haven't heard about the doorknob deal yet. And so um, I said, Well, I tell you what, while y'all are anointing those doorknobs, we're going to have a prayer walk around where the school is. He said, okay. So we left it at that. So we had our prayer walk, and they were going through town anointing those doorknobs, hope, praying that God will bring businesses back to those buildings. It's pure motive. But uh, anyway, there's a doctrinal difference there, but we went ahead and let them do what they wanted to do, and we did what we wanted to do, and, and then it all worked out. But working with each other. That's what, we, that's what we want to do. And where we can, not on doctrinal issues, but leave that aside. And um, look on page uh, 239, and I'm going to close with this. We're going to see a video. I'm not going to... It was just so much here, because uh, we didn't get to part two, of, but I may get that in a sermon a little later on. I was telling Canaan that I was, I was praying about preaching on Kananiah. Uh, I thought about this week, but Lord went another direction. But um, if you will, look on page 239. What's the most meaningful statement of Scripture that you read today pertaining to day three? Did anybody put anything down on that you, you don't mind sharing? Anyone? Here's what I put. Everything that our church has belongs to the kingdom. I really believe that. Is that what you put down? Everything we have belongs to the kingdom. That's what it was about. Reword the statement of Scripture into a prayer. Father, help me to be willing to help other churches by sharing what we have. That's what I put. And then what does God want you to do in response to today's study? Look for ways to promote kononia between churches. So that's what I put. Yeah.
I remember when my brother and father and I had a chance to go to South Africa. I'd never been there before. Uh, we got to go and uh, connect with a bunch of university students on this college campus. And uh, to kick off the conference they were doing, they had this big party right off the bat. And there was basketball and food and music. And it was this wonderful time. Uh, and then they started dancing. Now, they all apparently knew this same dance, and they start uh, lining up together and, and doing this great dance, and my brother and I are just sort of observing off to the side. We're like, ooh, we, we're not good dancers, we're just gonna observe. And then over the loudspeaker, they, uh, they say, where's Mike and Daniel? We need them to come up here and join us. And so we go up there, and uh, we're the only ones who have no idea what's going on. And it was this competition, too. And so we just entered into a dance competition in Africa. We didn't stand a chance. And so we're trying to do every move that we'd learned at every wedding dance we'd ever been to. And uh, after about 30 seconds, they stop the music. The DJ says, all right, for our next elimination round, it's Mike and Daniel. And I think we were the only two eliminated from the whole thing. It was funny, after that, uh, I got to speak uh, and, and to teach to that group. And there was this wonderful connection that we had with all these fellow believers in South Africa. I'd never met them before, thousands of miles away in a different country. Where does that connection come from? Well, it's because we had something in common. Jesus was the savior of us and them. And uh, we were part of the same kingdom of God. And it connected us together as family. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God. It was his focus and wanted it to be our focus as well. When he was teaching the disciples how to pray, he showed them how to pray by saying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Everything he taught about the kingdom was about how to live on earth 
uh, within this kingdom of God. Do you have a kingdom perspective? There's a tendency for us to be so concerned about our own personal context and even our own local church context that we don't have vision for what God is doing around the world beyond us. And a kingdom perspective moves our eyes off of ourselves to the greater work around us that God is doing. And uh, he invites us to become involved with him in his work, not just in our own lives and in our local context, but in a kingdom context as well. And I remember when I was first planting a church in Canada and we didn't have a worship leader and we needed the money to hire a worship leader. And so I was speaking at a conference in South Carolina and I was talking about the things that we're trusting God for. And one of the things I just briefly mentioned was we're praying uh, for uh, $20,000 to be able to hire and move a worship leader into our context. Well, after uh, that sermon, I had a lady come up to me who I'd never met before and hand me something in my hand. And she said, don't lose this. And uh, stuck it in my pocket, finished up the conference. And on our drive home, I opened it up and I found a check for $20,000. Uh, she had just paid for us to hire our worship leader that we had just met a few weeks uh, prior. And I had told our worship leader, I'm just praying that God will provide the money to hire you so that you could move into our context. You know, I later found out that woman was not part of our denomination. She had just came into that specific amount of money and was praying, saying, God, how would you have me to, to use this for, for ministry? for what you're doing. And then she heard somebody mention that exact same amount of what God is doing in Canada. And so she has never been to our church, and yet God used a woman in South Carolina to be part of something in British Columbia, Canada. That's how the kingdom works. Uh, God showing you what he's doing in other parts of the world, bringing you into a bigger story of what he's doing. So a kingdom perspective is when God takes our eyes off of ourselves to what he's doing all around us in the lives of other people across the city and across the country and across the world. I remember my young adult pastor when I was in seminary and he had been praying for, for a long time about how God's kingdom could be established in the downtown of his city. Now, his church was out in the country the downtown of his city was, was way out of the context of his own church, but he wanted to have a, a kingdom perspective. God, what are you doing outside of our local context? And he felt God drawing him to this old little church in the middle of downtown. He had no idea why, but he started praying, God, how would you use this little church? And so uh, he contacted them. Uh, it was this old abandoned church, wasn't really used for much anymore. And said, can, can we use this for something? And they said, no, absolutely not. We're, we're not able to uh, let anybody use this church at this time. And so he keeps praying. And he prays for five years. Uh, every time he drove into downtown, driving by that church, praying for that church. Well, eventually uh, they get back in contact with him. Five years later, after, after trying and trying, uh, saying, hey, if you, if you want to use our church, you can, you can now use this space. And so we planned this big event at the church. We had advertised a little bit uh, around that area. We were going to have free hot dogs and we were going to have a, a service there. And I remember the night when it all came together and, uh, and we had practiced in the band and we came outside and looked into the parking lot and the parking lot was just full of people. 
And we're looking out there, and it's full of every kind of person imaginable. Uh, we're seeing gangs that are, are all coming to the parking lot to get hot dogs together. And at one point, I see a friend of ours that we called Big John. Big John was this big guy, real bold, real loud. And uh, I see this gang, like, closing in on Big John. I'm thinking, like, Big John, he's in trouble. He could probably take out about half of these guys, but he doesn't stand a chance against the whole gang. Well, all of a sudden, he throws down the back of a truck, jumps up into the back of that truck, and starts sharing the good news of who Jesus is, just boldly preaching the gospel right there in that parking lot. And these guys are just captivated. And as I looked to my college pastor, watching tears coming down his face, as he had prayed for five years, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, specifically in the downtown of our city, uh, we're looking around and we're seeing gospel conversations happen all across this parking lot. When we pray and ask God to show us where he's at work, he'll show us his work in our personal lives and in our local context, but he'll also invite us to become involved in his kingdom work in places like this, in this city, outside of your everyday context. Are your eyes open for God's kingdom work all around you? Do you have a kingdom perspective? So a lot of churches across the country and across the world can be fairly small, but the kingdom across the world is this massive kingdom. And I think there's a tendency to think maybe if you're in a smaller church, uh, you can have a, a small view of what God's doing around the world. And so uh, how, how should we get more of a global kingdom perspective that takes our eyes out of our maybe smaller local context to the bigger things that God's doing all around the yeah, world? Great question. You know, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the rule of the king. And you need to look, uh, have your eyes look out to see where all the kingdom touches and where all it goes. And I remember when I was a, a president of a seminary in Canada, we were trying to build a new academic building and use nothing but volunteers and donations. And it was a massive project for us. And we got to a certain point where we had people that could put up the, the studs and, uh, and do the sheetrock but we couldn't find anybody that could do the bricklaying work. Apparently it's hard to find Christian bricklayers. <laughs> and so we, um, we put out a call and finally the, we, we discovered a little church in Texas. They ran less than 100 people, but they had three generations of bricklayers, a grandfather, a son, and a grandson that all were in the bricklaying business. And they decided to come and their pastor of this church of under 100, uh, he said he used to drive a forklift. He would come and help with that. They got some of their teenagers to come and do all the scaffolding work, all the grunt work, wheelbarrows. A bunch of the women and so on came and helped out, made meals, did whatever they could. And this, this church of less than 100 sent an entire team and saved us thousands and thousands of dollars worth of labor and effort. Well, word got out that on the, to the mission board that there was a group of, of Christians who could do bricklaying work. And all of a sudden, there were invitations from all over the world to come and build buildings for orphanages and churches around the world and all kinds of schools. And uh, this little church of less than 100 became one of the hottest, most busiest churches out there, just constantly in demand to go around the world. They were just trying to do church in Texas with 100 people, and suddenly they were swept up into the kingdom activity around the world. So you've had opportunities to uh, travel the world. You've been to all sorts of different countries, and so as you've traveled, 
How have you seen God's kingdom in all these different places across the globe? You know, I found out that I love my church. I love uh, the Christians that I fellowship with. But I've discovered that there are beautiful, wonderful Christians around the world, various denominations, languages, cultures. But uh, we're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. And uh, I remember going to Brazil one time and I was introduced to a man that was a river pastor on, on the Amazon River. And he was assigned 88 villages along the Amazon River and told to start a church in every one of them. And uh, he took me out on a boat one day to see one of those churches. And he said with shame that so far he'd only started churches in 57 of the 88. And he was embarrassed at his lack of faithfulness. Wow. And then he turned to me and he said, oh, but Dr. Blackaby, I'm so privileged that you would come from America to see me. And I honestly, from the depths of my heart said, no, I am privileged to come and see someone like you so faithfully taking on the assignment here along the Amazon River that God has given you. And I've just had the privilege of going to all over the world and seeing people faithfully serving, churches faithfully worshiping, sometimes facing all kinds of persecution and opposition. And yet I realized they're my brothers and sisters and I owe it to them as family to pray for them, support them, help them, and celebrate with them what God is doing. So we are all part of a bigger story that God is telling across the whole world. Uh, we are part of the kingdom, and we pray that God would open your eyes and draw you into his kingdom work. All right, so you kind of get a good concept of what kingdom work is and how we're all interconnected with each other and to help each other. And, and uh, I'm sure Brother Philip, others of you perhaps have gone uh, out of the country on mission trips. Uh, it's just, it, it's like when you go into, a, when you go to another country, like times we went to Romania, I mean, you feel like well, you have a connection with God's people. Wherever you go, you're connected. And there's a love there that reaches out to you and you reciprocate back to them, that love. And it's just, um, I mean, it's just great to experience uh, going away from here and being accepted by other brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever it might be. And here a couple of weeks ago, you know, we had the day of prayer for, for the persecuted church. Please keep praying for them because uh, they're, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ and they need our prayers. And prayer is the most powerful thing we can do. But um, continue to work in your book. If you're, if you're behind, that's all right. Just finish it. Just go through it. When you go through it, we'll, we'll have next, uh, next week. And, uh, but then you just continue to work through it. Get caught up. Go through it. And then tell me, say, Brother Sammy, I finished experiencing God. And so let me know because I have something that I want to give you when you do that.